Welcome to Everything House Music and More, and today's special guest, we have the one and only, the legendary, Steve Silk Hurley. Steve, what's going on, my brother? What's up, Mo? Hey, man, this is an honor. I, hey. it's, it's a privilege, man, and I am just, man, just flabbergasted that you're doing this, man, and I really appreciate this, man. Hey, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. We, we, we go way back. All right, so we, we just going to get into it. Go like back we to launch. <laughs> All right, so Hurl. <laughs> Celeste Alexander tells the story of, of both of you going to the Luke College and you being obsessed with hot mixing. Yeah. How did you get started hot mixing and who taught you and what were the first records you began practicing with and what year was it? What's crazy is uh, it pretty much started with me being that guy at the picnic okay. with the boom box oh, wow. uh, making cassette pause button tapes and before I even heard anybody mixing, I was like trying to pause stuff on beat. Wow. And I heard Disco D.A.I. with Kenny Jam and Jason. Okay. So, like, a lot of stuff happened before I got to that point where I met Celeste. Right. Because um, I didn't even know that mixing existed like that. I yeah. used to go to St. Albies every once in a while and see people like Kirk Townsend up there DJing okay. when I snuck out the house. Right, right, right. I definitely couldn't get out to go there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, so... We're we going to get into yeah, that, yeah. Early exactly. Hurley, that's me. Yeah. Right. So, so basically... Uh, I always was the one who wanted, to, I wanted to select the music to play for people and, okay. and bring a smile to their face. So when I found out I could mix music, then I didn't have the equipment. So I started borrowing my brother's equipment, like right. getting on his equipment when he wasn't around and tearing stuff up. And eventually I got my own equipment. But right. when I heard Kenny Jason and Peter Lewicki on G Disco DAI mixing right. that disco stuff, Change that. I, was, I was hooked. I right. was like, I got to learn how to do that. Okay. So just over a period of time, you know, I went to UIC for a little while, right. and Ernie Green was the sound Ernie man, Green. the DJ there. That's right. So I heard him before I went, ended up going to Loop College okay. because I wasn't really concentrating on school. I right. was, I just really wanted to do music, and I really didn't even do my homework, my study for tests. I just, wow. I was, ho I was horrible. I was horrible at, at UIC. I just, wow. I just totally lost focus. And, right, right. And you know, cause I was figuring out what I wanted to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I just started practicing, learning how to spin, got myself some belt drive turntables mm -hmm. and the Gemini mixer, like, right. and built my own DJ case. And by that time, that's when I met Celeste. Like okay. I would say, what year would that have been? 81, 82? Probably, yeah, because that was before I got in the DJ battle. Right. And uh, uh, what, what records were hot back then at that time? Um, we were playing, uh, I remember when I first started getting what we called house music. Right. Uh, we, I mean, we didn't really call it, did we call it house music? I don't even well, know. We going to get into that yeah, too. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if we were calling it house music at that point. I just right. know we were playing like, I, I bought Patrice Rush and Forget Me Nots. What okay. year was that? That was, uh, yeah. So that was that would have been 84? like that was when I started buying twelve inches from Loop Records. Okay. Like, forget me not. Um. Then I, you had Beckett Records. I'll do anything for you. Right. 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 Morgan. Like all the that New York stuff. And then the, and also I was buying. Um. I also had collection of like Harold Melvin the Blue Notes and right. all that that old yeah, yeah. you know disco that made me feel good. Yeah. You uh, know James Brown and just you know right. Body Heat all yeah. that. That stuff was like stuff that I liked anyway before I even right. got into the house culture at all. But gotcha. it ended up coming back to me later on when people started embracing digging in the crates. What records were you practicing with back then? Um, I think my first record, my first records I got was like Rapper's Delight, Curtis Blow, The okay. Breaks, uh, Curtis Blow, uh, as far as like stuff to mix with. Right. Uh, I already had stuff like Cool in the Gang, okay. like all the normal funk stuff right. that I was playing at Sock Hops back in the day okay. um, before I graduated from high school. That, I didn't consider that really DJing. Right. You know, because I was just kind of putting records on. Yeah, and just That was play. in like 79, 80. Oh, wow. You know, okay. yeah, but. And you graduated in 80. I graduated in 80. Right. But I didn't really start, you know, learning the art of like, actually DJing with a mixer to like 80, 80, 81 right. when I graduated and went to UIC for a little while. And then I ended up at, uh, at Loop College because okay. I wasn't really concentrating on school when I right. was up at UIC. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, a, that's the nice way of saying right, right, how, right. how well I did at UIC. Okay. <laughs> so there was a growing juice bar party scene on the South Side rooted in punk out and underground disco. How did you dis discover that scene? 
Um, the, my first experience with that scene would have been uh, going to the loft. Okay. Um, and what was the loft at? The loft was on right over here on Michigan. Okay. Uh, what was that? 14th, maybe 14th in Michigan. Okay. Maybe, maybe further north. Right. Um, and uh, I heard it was uh, it was a chosen few crew, pretty much. It was Andre, Tony, Wayne. Okay. Um, who else was part of that crew back then? Andre, Tony, Wayne. Who am I leaving out? It's one, Allen and Allen. Allen? Okay. Yeah. So they were not only playing like stuff from like Prelude Records and West End and like all that, you know, New York uh, club music, but they right. were playing, you know, like just anything old disco. Okay. Um, and it was like a group of the really the thing that really the thing that really made it the thing that really made it different for me was that they were, were playing those records. The punk from out the, records and everything. The right? punk out records and the right. New York and the New York records. Okay. Like the, what you would consider garage music, I guess, right. what Larry Levan was playing. At that time, we didn't have house music yet. Right. Okay. But, but we did have Frankie Knuckles was at the warehouse before that. Right. And I knew what, what music he was playing. Okay. Which was a more like kind of like more the disco, disco, the soulful disco right. that was being played, dance, and we right. used to call those house cuts. Okay, so that's now, 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 okay, you used to call <clears throat> those house cuts. Yep. So let, let me interject there. We we can ask this. So where do you think the term house music came from? It's it's kind of like a melting pot of a lot of different things that happened. So okay. you got me hearing from I remember a guy named Kevin Jackson. He played me a cassette, okay. and he was like. Yeah, this this these are some house cuts. Frankie did this. This is a tape Frankie did. Okay. He called them house cuts. Right. And it and it had like a bunch of the stuff that was like late eight early eighties disco, disco. Okay. and stuff like that. And right. that was that was what we call house cuts. So okay. that fast forward maybe a couple of years after we've already been listening to th that music right. and the, and the newer music that was coming out in the early eighties. Right. Um, the prelude stuff and all that stuff. Uh, Beckett Records, like I said, um, who was it? Uh, we we still even consider anything with a four on the floor. We consider right, something I, I, that we could play because right, it right. was like more like it was dance music, but we didn't really give it a title. Right. We didn't really give it a title of house music. Right. It just kind of morphed into it. So so where do you think the term house music? So you saying the so, term house music came from the warehouse where Frankie Knuckles? I was think playing that's at. that was my experience. Okay. Of right. Hearing the term for the first time. Okay. So I stuck with that in my head. Okay. But I've heard people talk about the fact that that they were playing music at at house parties, and I, house, to right. be honest, uh, Alan King and Tony Hatch and all those guys, right. they used to DJ in Peel Hill at these house parties, and they were off the hook. Right. And uh, South Commons, they okay. used to have parties over there. So the, maybe they were referring to some of those house parties as right. being that being house music from okay. there. So All I don't right. really almost don't feel like it makes a difference. Just right. like I don't feel like it makes a difference, uh, you know, who who was the first to do this and that. Like, okay, but, okay, yeah. since, okay, since you're there, then we're we going to backtrack. So we're we going to go ahead and forward. Um, what do you think was the first house records? Was it one of your records? Was it Jamie Principal? Was it Jesse Saunders? Or was it Chippy? First house recording, I would say, is Jamie Principal, Your Love. Okay. But first record, house right. record, Jesse Saunders, uh, either on and on, or what was the other, what was the, that was probably on and yeah. on was probably it. So, it, so and we played that as, along with other music that we would call house. So, you know, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, right. or you, you felt like it wasn't authentic because he didn't say house so, on it, I don't, so I don't, you don't think, think that. So you don't think Chipsy, it's house was the first house record by saying that term? I think all of this stuff happened at the same time. Okay. So I don't know. I think Jesse was the first to turn house music into a business and actually put the record out. So technically okay. he started the genre with his record because he was, his was the first to come out. Okay. But that doesn't mean that he was the only one doing music. Okay. No, like, no. So just, it was just <laughs> when you when you start a genre, it's based on it's based on it's based on when the actual records were released and then officially. Masses, masses I mean, because I could go it, back right, to right. my stuff, right? That I was playing on four track at one of, at your parties exactly. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Some of that stuff I was doing before any records came out, but it doesn't really matter because it, I, it, it was wasn't. just it, to, it was technically just a demo, right? 
because I didn't release it. Correct. Okay. No, no. We go, all right. We, yeah. we leave it there. So it is rumored that a battle, that a DJ battle was your breakthrough as a DJ in that scene. Is that true? Uh, I would say there was three DJ battles. Okay. That, yes, well, well, tell us about some of the battles and then yeah. why, why you think you stood out at those battles? Well, I was in the, in the, in the lab practicing like in the basement, like just learning tricks and different things. Okay. And, and I um, got the opportunity to be in a battle that a guy named Herb Bertha threw at the El Panama, oh, wow. which was just a lounge. Right. And I won that battle. Then I got in a battle at the penthouse, which I think uh, it was like people like Celeste and Andre Hatchett. And I don't know if Andre was in the battle, but okay. it was, I think, Keith Fobbs, a few other people. Now, this battle was just, just to be a battle, not to get into this, like the Hot Mix 5. No, no, okay. this, no but, this, but this is what led me into even being noticed because okay. nobody knew who I was because right. I wasn't really part of the scene. I couldn't get out the house. So right. by being in those battles, then I won the Sawyer's battle and I was... I was actually known for being one of the DJs at Sawyer's after I finally won that battle. That was monumental okay. for me with Dave Risque. Right. Because he was throwing the parties there, Gucci Productions, and right. he was doing that. So basically, I got in a few other battles after that, and I really should have just left it alone. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but there was another battle for the Hot Mix 5, which I think that's what you're talking about. Okay. There were two battles for the Hot Mix 5 to see who would get the spot. Right. And it was um, at the South Side. It was South Side, West Side, and North Side. Correct. So in the South Side battle was me, Little John. Ferris. I wish I knew who the other ones were. Ferris. Ferris. Right. Oh, yeah, Ferris. Yep. And uh, it was somebody else. Uh, Lil John said he didn't. He think it was I don't Edward know, but, Crosby. But whoever was in it, they was all cold. Like right. so, it wasn't. It wasn't like some little pushover thing right, right, or nothing right. like that. But I felt like I won. Um, and at the end, they said I was the winner. Right. Um, but now I heard recently that it was something <laughs> going on with that. But I, <laughs> hey, I didn't know nothing about that. I felt right. good about it. Right. And then I went on to the next battle, which was supposed to be to see who was going to actually get the spot, which was in the north side, south side. Right, this side, was the first time. Right, right. That was at Rainbow. Right. And that's the one that... I didn't win, okay, because um, Julian Perez won. So, okay. so who was who was all in that battle? You, Julian me, Perez, and from the West Side, Terry. What's his last name? Dude named Terry. I can't remember his last name. Not Baldwin, was it? No, it was okay. different Terry. Yeah, okay. but I didn't win that one. But eventually, I ended up in the Hot Mix Five. So, right, it, you know, it didn't really affect anything yeah. i mean i didn't know anything about what happened with um with john and what was said about that so i just J john is my boy though i mean right, right, him right. and ferris killed it they yeah. they were like some young bucks coming up <laughs> and i was like trying to trying to hold my own with them right yeah you, you were able to do guest mixes on the radio pretty early in your career what station were you on and and did you submit a tape to lee michaels to become part of the hot mix five when it first started uh i didn't even know about that Okay. Um, I was I was out of the loop with that. So basically, my start in radio was uh, Herb Kent giving me the opportunity to be on his show. Oh wow! Okay. And then I went to GCI, and while that was going on, I was Hot Mix Five was on fire. That's where I really wanted to be. Okay. Because I wanted to play that music right. for that audience. Okay. And eventually, um, Farley pulled some strings to get me in over there, even though I hadn't won the battle. Right some spots opened up and he pulled me in. Oh, wow. So when, when you was on GCI, what were they calling it when you was were on the GCI? Hot mix, what was it called? The Mix Masters or something like okay. that? I think it was called the Mix Masters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so basically Farley and I became real close. Like, okay. Um, and, and we actually, had, we were like best friends. We actually became roommates, right. everything. Like we hung right. out. right. We worked on our craft together. We challenged each other. Like it, right. it was, it was good. It was a learning experience for me. And then he had the opportunity because he had been doing it a little bit longer than me. Right. And he had built a certain status, and he kind of pulled me up okay. and let me open up on some of his parties. Right. And some of them, like he would leave me there, and he'd come back, and they'd be hanging off the rafters. He's like, <laughs> "Wait a minute, I don't want you playing like that." Right. Right. <laughs> so he probably thinking to himself, "Like, man, I better stop." Wow. So okay, yeah. on, on the subject of farty. You two were like the dynamic duo long before the records and conflict of the years later, you know, later years that come about. How did Farley Keith influence you as a DJ and as a friend? Um, I think, first of all, Farley is, is one of the most fun dudes to be around. Right. But 
He's crazy. You crazy, <laughs> Farley. That's Farley but Jack I, Master I, Funk. I, I got to say, those are some of my best years. Like, you know how when you go away to college and yeah. you, like, do stuff, do all kinds of stuff, right. and you're like, man, I, I, I was kind of wild in college. Like, so that right. was my college. Yeah. You know, being a roommate with Farley, you can imagine. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it just was, yeah. you know, it was just crazy. But the friendship was cool, and, and we, we connected with each other on the techniques for putting together records even before we started doing records because right. we started using drum machines. Uh -huh. And um, one of the fir my first drum machine was a Casio. Like, we just used to, him and I used always to be together, so if he, if he was buying a Casio, I was buying a Casio, or vice versa. Right. Or if I was buying a Boss Dr. Rhythm, he was buying one. Like, we, we, we were like, yeah, this is going to be it. Cause we didn't right. have 808s or anything like that. Right. But then he he was making a lot more money than me because he was in the Hot Mix Five before me. Right. So he was getting them checks every. Now every, you guys were living at, with, with each other at this time when yeah, he was in the Hot there, Mix Five. Yeah, over uh -huh. there on Harrison and Harrison and uh, right off the Eisenhower. Now what, yeah. I know you say you're crazy, but what was that like? Like I mean, y'all come in and just start battling with each other or. He had his room. I had my room. I had my stuff set up. He had his stuff set up. But he had a he had a Lindrum. That's what I was trying to say. He had more money, right. so he had a Lindrum, and he started making records with the Lindrum. And I started helping him a little bit. I put a few keyboards in there and okay. stuff. So on some of his earlier records, like Funkin' the was it Funkin' the bass or something like that. I okay. forgot that Funkin' the drums. Funkin' the drums. Right. Like some of those, I helped him a little bit with that. And then he okay. helped me with music is the key. Right. Like so like. We had a friendship like that. We were like colleagues, and we were we were right. doing what, doing what we did, you know. Like it, so I never, no matter what happened between me and Farley, the things that kind of went wrong, I don't regret being Farley's friend, right? And and the things that we brought to each other, and how we were good for each other during that period of time, you know, it was a chapter yeah. that was really that was really good, and you know, sometimes chapters don't last; yeah. they turn it. They turn you know, it you go yeah. on to the next chapter. Absolutely. And, but that doesn't mean that you hold any ill will, even even when people do things that you don't think they should have done. Right. I don't hold on to that because okay. that that'll eat away at you. Exactly. Now that's good. So before the genre house music came about, there was a a house music culture, we should say. The parties people went to, the music that was played, and the way people dressed and spoke. Where do you remember the name house music coming from and like before the culture, like before the genre of house? Where do you remember that the term house culture coming house from? House for the music. Yeah. Now house for the music, I think what happened was we started doing all these different re-edits of disco records, first of all. Right, right. And records that weren't disco or whatever. We just would make special edits. But we wanted to make them house, which was give it some punch, like yeah. make it yeah. more punchy. So one of my first ones that I did was Jungle DJ, and I put a Boss Dr. Rhythm underneath it. Nice. And gave it to Ron Hardy, and he was playing that every week. Right. Like, he was killing it. Right. Like, my my mix because at first he had just an edit but okay. it didn't have the drums in it right so i pretty much housed it up it's almost like what you would call a rework now yeah except yeah. i had to do that stuff manually right. i was like putting the record on on top oh, of the so, beat so so you didn't program it or anything or sample no or i had the drum machine running and then i had the two copies of the record and right. i went so I was doing like some New York stuff, like right. how they do the right. the backtracking and stuff like that. So yeah. and then I would just go back and edit it. Wow. And that's why if you listen to my version of that, you'd be like, some of those are off, but yeah, yeah, yeah. but it didn't really matter because that was like still some off the hook stuff yeah. for that period of time. It was like just to even be having some other drums on top of so something. So were you editing on just on cassette tape? That was on on reel to reel cassette. I would record it to reel to reel, then bounce bounce to another reel to reel, then bounce or bounce to a cassette, and then bounce back to the reel. Or I do some edits on the reel and bounce that to cassette because I had a four track cassette. Right. So then once I did that, I was like, wait a minute, what if I just made my own version? I can't turn around because that was a popular loop that everybody was looping. The end of I can't turn around. So for years, I was. I was playing my version of I Can't Turn Around that I did on a on a synthesizer and it 
you know, it, right. it didn't come out until the other one came out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a that's a whole different story for the ages. If you want to know about it, no, I check you. out the Chicago LP. Farley talked about it. So, right. <laughs> so, hey, so he apologized. I'm good. Like, right. you are, like you don't if need people to do think we won't smoke with each other, that's not what it is. Yeah. Like, we just... Hey, we all we were kids, you know. Right. When you look at it, we were we were, we were very young and had a lot to learn. Absolutely. And you know, sometimes you have to just learn how to forgive and just move on to the next thing. Right. No. So you you eventually became a part of the Hot Mix Five. Yep. What was your feelings about finally becoming a member of such an iconic group? Man, I I was on top of the world. I, I, okay. I was just. If I could put that time in a bottle, that that was right. crazy. Cause I remember my day would consist of get up, run to Evergreen Plaza, uh -huh. me and Farley go act crazy at the mall, <laughs> eating all, eating a, drinking a big old Slurpee, like eating some rib tips that night. Right, Everything. Right, right. That's how I was gaining weight. I was like <laughs> eating all kind of stuff. Right. But but the day was the day was like jam packed full of full of fun stuff. Yeah. And then that night we were doing our music. Right. And I would do a new track and I would put it in my mix on the hot when I was in the hot mix five right. before I even did music is the key. Wow. I was making tracks and playing them in my mix. They didn't even know I was making Ooh. original music and playing it in the mix. Wow. So speaking so of music, technically that right. stuff was being published because it was it was being played. So yeah, that's true. I mean, it's not a record, but it was being played. You know. So but, would you consider one of you you're the first house music artist uh, since you was doing that then? I mean, we definitely were the first house music okay. group. No, I just want to make house sure music people, group. I just want to make sure people but know that. Like JM Silk. Became right. the first like real house music group. So now we were talking about that. So music is the key was your first official release as Jam Silk. Right. How did that come about, and how come I can't turn around didn't come first, and why the name Jam Silk? I didn't understand how the music business worked. So if I had, I would have put I can't turn around back in '84 yeah. or right. whenever that was '83, '84. I know when I came to. I don't know when that was when I came to DJ for you all, but I was playing. That was like '80, '84, '83, '84. Yeah, because it was a place called The Lodge, right? Or, no, or the, we did, um, it was out in the suburbs, and I forget the, what it was. I think it was called The Lodge. At first, you, you was doing the Glenwood Skating Rink. Okay, that's, I know I used to yeah. do the Glenwood, yeah, right, even right. when I went to Glenwood right. Skating Rink, exactly. I used to have my four-track recorder, and I'd be playing right. the I Can't Turn Around, yeah. and I, 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 right, it was right. like the I, real I raw version, yep. and, but it wasn't, a, it wasn't no. a record. But I didn't know I could... Do a cover. I could have just said, "Okay, Isaac Hayes wrote this song, right. and this is my rendition of his song." Yeah. And I could have put it out, but I didn't know that. I had nobody to really advise me on how how to do that. So, right. music is the key. Ended up coming first. I had another track. I don't know I that don't, I had been playing. That straight instrumental. Like, I remember that. Yep. And then I had like three or four versions. Of I I can't turn around. So you just just. Just music, it just came out because you didn't know better and you just wanted to put it out. Yeah, I didn't know I didn't know how to put it out. Okay. I didn't know what it would cost. Right. So that's why I give Jesse credit for is that he started the industry here with house music because right. once he put it out, then everybody was like, oh, he can, you can actually put it out on a record? Yeah. Like, and I was like, I want to put out a record. So I right. borrowed some money from my dad huh. and... Uh, I put out Music is the Key with Rocky Jones. Like, right. I put up some money, and he put up some money, and okay. we put it out. So why the name J.M. Silk? What did that stand for? Jack Master Silk. Jack Master Silk. Sound so, familiar? Yeah, that, that, that sounds familiar. <laughs> so let's, let's go into that story a little bit. So why didn't you just say Jack Master Silk? Because at that point, there was another Jack Master. Right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the reason, that, the reason that happened is because when I – Farley even explains it. Right. Why why he took the name? Because he felt like because he started before me okay. that he was the Jack Master. So how how dare me say I'm the Jack even, Master? Even though you came up with the name. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. But it's just yeah. it's just like some OG <laughs> stuff. Like 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 hey. I, I get it. Right. I, I, now I can sit back and laugh at it, but then I didn't I didn't understand it. Yeah. Like like how somebody could do that. So that was like one of the straws that broke the camel's back so too. I, I, so I remember that story because we've been everybody's been talking about that. So I remember, I think you came up with the name you wanted to use that, and then he went on the station that day, yeah, and announced that he changed his name. Yeah, but I had already started saying that. I, even if you listen to music as a key, it says a Jack Master Jock can open up the lock because he right. has a key to unlock your body. Right. right. Yeah. So 
I'm the Jackmaster. Like, that was in the song. I had, like, rough versions of that. So right. I guess he was like, nah, I'm not going to let him do that. Like, he's like, Farley's like a marketing genius, so yeah. he wasn't going to let me one-up him on that. But right. it's almost like when I play basketball, how yeah. I'm cool with the competition. And, right. you know, like, say, you don't want no smoke. I, I want the smoke. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just like that. So I get, I get it. I'm cool. I'm cool with it now because right. I understand because I learned a lot from that experience. And if you can't, you know, yeah. you got to learn from things that you go through. Right. Even if it's something bad that happens to you or something somebody did wrong Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. You know, you just have to learn to move on yeah. and not and, and t- treat it as something that'll help you to not make those mistakes again. Yeah. So what was your relationship with Rocky Jones on DJ International? Well, DJ International, that was the record pool that we all were in. Okay. Um, which was really a good record pool uh, with Benji and everybody. Breast in peace, Rest Benji. In peace, um, right. And... Um, Originally, I had talked to Jesse about trying to get a record out. That was my question. Yeah, yeah. Why did and you then ask he was Jesse like, "No, nah, he's like, it's okay, but you probably should put some vocals on it." And then when I put the vocals on it, it sounded, it sounded, my version sounded just okay. I don't know if I ever let Jesse hear it again, but at that point, I was kind of moving on to try to learn how to do it myself. So I felt like doing it and kind of being in control of it. Right. Along with Rocky, that was that was like a better way for me to do it. Yeah, because he had the resources to promote it. Okay, and because he was a record pool, they knew distributors. Did you things. ever think about putting it out with Larry Sherman at that time too? I thought for about let me see <laughs> how, how many milliseconds are in a second. <laughs> how many milliseconds are in a second? Right. Is it? Do you know how many? Nah, Is it know, like a I'm thousand? Glad you, I'm glad you. So didn't maybe do that. one millisecond. <laughs> <laughs> Even though he said he put it out on your label too, anyway, so you know, he yeah, I'm sure he bootlegged it. Right. He actually pressed the first copies. That's why they were so crackly. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was bad. But anybody who got those first copies of Music Is the Key, they were glad when the right. when the next batch came out. <laughs> or they so, might have tried to trade them in. Oh my goodness, that's crazy, man. The Snap so, Crackle Pop was in full effect. So, th- knowing that Larry put it out, did anybody try to stop him? The, as far as what bootlegging? Yeah. I mean, Rocky said he went down there and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? With me, what's so funny, I was like, I was so into the the, the creativity. Right. You got to look at somebody who wanted to be always be a DJ. Now I'm on Hot Mix, in the Hot Mix 5, right. and I'm making records. I'm, I'm enjoying that. Right. I'm enjoying being young, single, free, <laughs> and, and, just, and just enjoying doing what I love. So right. a lot of business stuff just kind of slipped through the cracks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when somebody else would step in and do something, I would just let them handle it, which is, you know, like yeah. we both ended up, you know, doing the ID records thing. Yeah. yeah and, I, and, and our manager, we ended up with the same manager, right. of course. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we had to learn from that experience. We all learned from that so, experience. So hold on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to that. But I'm just saying, music, music is the key, and the follow-up, Shadows of Your Love, blew up as house music starts to gain New York's attention. Mm-hmm. You and Keith Nunley, the vocalist for Jam Silk, right. formed a band, right? Right. Tell us how that relationship developed, and why do you think it broke up? Well, for, uh, Keith, Keith and I, Keith was a well-known singer who had sung in bands, fast talent shows yep. throughout the years and I, was, I I didn't know anything about that but I heard that he was a great singer so when I had my demo music is a key people were dancing to it but right. I felt like it could be better if I had like a real singer because okay. Colonel Abrams was hot at that time it right. was like I was like man I want my own like Colonel Abrams type voice or something like and so I heard about him right. I brought him in I just hired him to sing on it and it was like magic in the room you know so wow. then when the record took off and when it started charting and people were playing it I was we were I was like why don't we just be a group right and we just leave the name the name is Jam, Jam Silk. Silk let yeah. them just think that's just the name of the group like okay. we won't really we won't say Jam Silk featuring Steve Silk Hurley and Jim, right, Keith right, right. Nunley and all that right and then I learned like real quick how to become an artist yeah. Even though that wasn't something that I probably really wanted to do long term, yeah. I learned how we to know that. Yep. I learned how to do that right. just because now they were paying like 10 times what I was getting the DJ mm. to perform. And then him and I get to split it. So that was pretty good. So I right. and we were started doing shows like three shows in a weekend. Okay. And man, it, it was a great situation. We really became a group. Like okay. we were going to rehearsals every day. Right. Like we put in a lot of work. 
Okay. Like people see that like power powerhouse show on yeah. the, on the on the YouTube. Yeah, it's on there. Us doing the it's show, I know. and I'm up there trying to keep up with the steps. <laughs> I did good enough to get by, but our shows were critically acclaimed. Like when we went, yeah. when we went out to New York, they were booing when we came out there. Like, boo, go back right. to Chicago. And then wow. by the end of the show, they were giving us standing ovations and talking about encore. Wow. At like the what was the name of that place? The Copacabana, like right. we went, or, or Studio Fifty Four, like yeah. some of those older clubs. So you we did went, perform at Studio Fifty Four. Yeah, even wow. though it was, it was like on the tail, on the tail end, end, we did the Paradise didn't... Garage. Yeah. Wow. You no, know, Tony Humphreys. Um, what's the name of that? Um. The place Tony Humphrey. Zanzibar. The Zanzibar, yeah. yep. We did that about probably eight times. Wow. Yeah, like all those kind of clubs, we yeah. were doing all that. And the thing is, I just really felt like I had done everything I could do to, as an artist. Right. I found out that I didn't like rehearsing the same, to same songs to sing over and over again. Yeah. Like Keith did, he was a true performer. Right, right. So that's his love. Yeah. So even, you know, working on new music, it just it just wasn't the same because I was distracted by the fact that I'm getting ideas every day. That's how right. Jack Your Body came along. Okay. Because that was just like me acting crazy yeah. on the mic. And that became like an example of me just being me. Playing around. And then But but after, before then, now comes the major deal with RCA. How do you think that deal benefited JM Silk? And were there any downsides to taking the house music to a major label, you think? Um, the major label deal was like in the midst of all that. So we were doing the shows and then we got signed. Okay. And then the first single was supposed to be I Can't Turn Around. Right. After we already had Shadows and Music is a Key. So we were already doing shows. We had the I Can't Turn Around was getting ready to come out. And then Farley dropped Love Can't Turn Around. Right. And the way that happened was... Him and I were roommates, but okay. then we weren't roommates because <laughs> Keith and I became roommates. Okay. Because we were a group. Right. So any it sounds logical, right? That that we may become roommates because right. now we're actually rehearsing every day. Every day and being with and each other, right? We're in a group together. We're actually writing songs together. And so, this not in the same house yeah, though, right? This yeah. is totally and, different area. And separate. I had my so then I got my own spot. Okay. And then Keith started staying with me a lot. Okay. And me and Farley were, he was, we used to be roommates, but then he had his spot and I had my spot. Right. Okay. So at that point, I guess all bets were off. Like, <laughs> like I said, he just, he, he, he felt like, I don't want to even say what he felt like. Watch the Chicago LP. Right, right, right. And, and you'll hear what he said. He said okay. exactly why he did it. I, I tried to move on from it and I'm cool with it. Right. I, and I still got love for so, Farley. So, so I mean, yeah. if nobody can see that, explain what he said then. I mean, we, we right here at this platform. So, Explain what he why he, he did. He it pretty then. much felt like like I put him to the side for Keith almost like. Okay. But I was still friends with him as far as I knew. I didn't. Right. You know what I'm saying? I just got busy. Like, right. 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 That happens a lot of times when people get busy with different things, um, and their old friends feel like right. they've changed, but they haven't really changed. They've just gotten business. busy. Yeah. Like they they're so busy that they don't have time to do the stuff that they used to do with you. Right. So then. I think he kind of took it personal okay. and he just felt like that, that was his end to just go ahead and do whatever. So, so, so he heard you was doing I Can't Turn Around. No, he he witnessed me DJing, playing I Can't Turn Around on okay. the radio okay. at parties, just like you did. Like, right. So he knew I had the song. He knew I was recording it over again with right. Keith on the vocals with me. Right. And he knew it was getting ready to come out and he still just got together with Vince and, and everybody and did it. Wow. You know, but. But a lot of people overseas, they have no idea that I even did a version before him. So when his right. came out and then mine came out, right. then it was like, you man, you him. biting off Farley. Yeah. What, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. yours is just okay. His is, <laughs> his is the one. Like, so now, now I'm the one who's biting off somebody. Right, right, but right. I, like I said, I don't yeah. have regrets of that. Absolutely. And you know why I don't have regrets for that? Because when his record came out, it opened up house music in the UK. Right. And and it went top ten or twenty or something like that, to the point where they were they had their eye on house music. So by the time exactly. Jack Your Body came out, right. that was able to go number one and, for two weeks. And so, stay right there. And so I don't want to block right. some blessing to happen to me because Absolutely. of something because of something bad that happened to me. It opened up a door for something good. So good. that that helps me to think now. Like when something goes bad, right. 
Like it's that's always be, a lesson that I learned yeah, yeah. to always find the good in it. Like, okay, that door closed. What door just opened? Right. Like, it's, no, that's good. Yeah. So, so speaking of Jackie Body, that went number one in the UK, which made you officially a pop star in the UK. What was that experience like, and how did you balance it with becoming relatively, relatively unknown in the U.S. compared, you know, from the U.K. to the U.S.? Um, oh, wait. Can I, yeah, can yeah, I double yeah. back to Keith? I didn't yeah, answer yeah. the Keith question. So Keith okay. and I didn't really fall out. We just grew apart because I started doing remixes, Correct. Producing, doing stuff for 10 City. Right. I, I wanted to be... I didn't want to be an, be an artist anymore. Okay. So we didn't technically fall out. Yeah, we had arguments just like anybody has Correct. arguments, but it wasn't like, oh man, I don't, right, you know, I don't right. like you anymore. It was like he went solo and actually I actually produced some records on Correct. his solo you project sure you and sure you did. were involved in that Absolutely. with some remixes and stuff. So yep. you know that, I mean, people, people disagree about stuff. So yeah, we oh, didn't yeah. really totally fall out. We just went our separate ways. Like that's right. what a lot of this stuff is: is people going their separate ways and yeah. doing what they want to want to produce, exactly. do what they exactly. want to do. I'm glad you cleared that up because yeah. I think a lot of people had that question, and I know Keith got his version of it, and we'll get that later. But I'm glad you. And we even that up. actually had a discussion because we were doing an interview on another media outlet, okay. and I wanted to have a discussion with him about it. Right. And he told me some things that he thought was going on with me. Right that I didn't know and I told him some things that see that, that's that's what about communication so, yeah. that, that, so the communication yeah. when we had yeah. that communication then that interview went great yeah. like cuz now we understood you know what he was thinking absolutely. and what I was thinking absolutely. and you know it was a slight it was a slight little riff yeah. at the time but it wasn't like anything major right well I'm glad you we brothers just, got it together you know, man but your question end. go back to your other question so, I don't want to mess you up in 1987 Jackie Body went number 1 in the UK which made you officially a pop star in the UK what was that experience like, and how did you balance it with being being really unknown in the U.S. compared to the U.K.? Um, uh, what's crazy is during the time that Jack Your Body took off, I was um, oblivious to the fact that it took off like it did. Wow. Because I was told by management that the record reached number one, but I thought he was talking about the dance charts. He didn't say number one pop chart, and then he said, uh, then he said uh, something about top of the pops. They want you to right. perform on top of the pops, but we were working on our album, finishing the album. So he persuaded me to not go do the top of the pops. So, so he, who was that? My manager, Frank. It was Frank Rodriguez. Yeah, the time. Frank Rodriguez. Okay. Yeah, so he he convinced me that we it was more important to finish the album because if we didn't make the deadline for the album, then we would lose momentum. Wow. So, but technically I could have gone and done that, but then my eyes, I think, would have been open so wide to how big house music really was right. that maybe he felt like he was going to lose some control there. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's a learned experience for me too. Like, wow. just, like, it's just communication, yeah. man. Like, yeah. communication and, 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 like, paying attention to stuff that's going on around you is right. key yeah. for any artist. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm yeah. going to go back but, a little but, bit. But you're... Your question was, how did I, so technically I didn't really become, I didn't go over there and see what was going on. So I was still this humble dude here. Oh, so doing, you, you never traveled over there after Jackie not, and see no, how No, I didn't was. even, for years I didn't because I ended wow. up being in the studio so much. When I switched to, to being more of a producer than an artist, yeah. I really didn't go over there. And I wasn't DJing. Wow. Except locally I would DJ a party here and there, but because yeah. that's my first love. But the studio became my life. Wow. You know what I mean? So I didn't really have that to compare. It wasn't like I was like like I was a star over there and right. I wasn't here. I was actually, you know, here I was getting accolades yeah. for being a DJ and being Correct. on the radio. Correct. But then I stopped doing that. I was just focused on the music. Right. But and it's, people it's, saw my name on records and stuff like that. It's still a different, especially in the UK, man, because that record went number one. So you were a pop star. So yeah. If, if at that Once time, I found out that, then yeah. I, I kind of knew. Yeah. And then when the checks started coming in, I knew it was something going on. Because if you would have worked down the street and they knew you would see her, oh man, you would have been got mobbed. Yeah, everything. I found that out later. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I'm just like a humble person. My parents are real humble. They right. taught me to always be that way. So right. I think I didn't even want to believe I was that. I just wanted to just keep doing what I was yeah. doing because I love what I was doing, no. which was creating music, writing songs, you know, right. being in the studio. Yeah. That that's what I wanted to do. Not 
I, I didn't want to be a be a, a star on the stage. Right. So if they wanted me to come to Top of the Pops, they want me to perform. So right. then that means I got to put together a show. So that kind of, yeah. I think that's why I didn't really worry that much about it. Yeah. Because I was happy with being able to put the Produ- album together. Yeah, put everything together. And no, get our music out. I can understand that. I, the same thing would be But I, I didn't want them to feel like it was a snub to them yeah. that I didn't want to come. Right. It was like presented to me that I'm going to mess something else up if right. I do that. So no regrets, right? No, but no regrets. Okay. okay. No regrets whatsoever. All right. All right. So Fast Eddie <laughs> is credited as the creator of Hip House, but often your production of its percussion by M-Doc is never mentioned, and it was released almost the same year. Which came uh, first? Oh, it's percussion definitely came first. Right. Actually, music is the key came first, but I was not a hip hop artist right. in 1985. So, but it had the full rap in it and everything. Like, no, that that is so, true. So that is true. And over house beat, but it's percussion was done in like '87. Right. I have I have like the tapes from the session. Yeah. When we did it, and then I was playing it on the radio immediately because I was still DJing on I Absolutely. think GCI at that time. Yep. And I was playing it on there. Right. So. The thing is, uh, M. Doc didn't really want to be a house music artist. Uh, he was a hip hop. Okay. Right. He was a hip hop fan. Loved right. Public Enemy. He loved, you know, Chuck D. and all those guys. So he did, he, he loved rapping over the house record. He was cool with it. Yeah. So so M. Doc, he was like a true performer and an artist. Right. But he wasn't just into house music. He his generation. He's younger than me. So. Right. They grew up listening to, you know, Public Enemy and yeah. all those different artists yeah. that were hot at the time, Eric B. and Rakim. So that's his influence. Even though he liked house music being from Chicago, right. he didn't want to be just a house music right. artist. He wanted to do be a hip-hop artist. Yeah. So, so is that why that it wasn't never a follow-up to his percussion? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he, he was working on his album, okay. which was mostly more hip-hop. Right. right. And with a few house things sprinkled in, but... Yeah. You know, back then, you couldn't really be more than one thing. That's true. If you think that's about true. it, they, they didn't allow that. No, that's true. No, no. <laughs> you got to be in this little tiny box. <laughs> so your production skills, Steve, and popularity laid to early remix requests. What was your first paid remix, and what was that process like? Let me see. First paid remix. Yeah. Uh, some of the first things I did, I helped Farley with some stuff. I helped. Chippy do the edits on like this, but it wasn't a paid remix. Okay. Um, Ten City was one of the yeah. first. Yeah. Um, right back to you. Um, before I did, that's the way love is. But I was also some independent projects that I did. Oh, my first major project that I did a remix on was Pseudo Echo Funky Town. Oh wow. Which was like not right after Jack Your Body. So that was. That was actually my first first, first remix, and then okay. I went to New York to do it. So I got the experience of seeing how they do stuff in New York right. too. Oh, and if wow. you listen to that record, you'll be like, "That's Diesel Hurley," because it don't really sound like right, me. Right, right, right. Because it had the touch of an engineer from New York. Yeah, yeah. It had that New York sound. Yeah. Meshed with what I was hearing, but okay. so it was a little like, like a little bit less yeah. raw and more. It just sounded different. Wow. So you're a pioneer in stripping the vocal for a remix and creating a whole new production around it. Tell us how innovative that approach was and what technology played a role in that part. Um, I would say one of the first records that I did where I just changed all the music yeah, um, and changed the whole track was either Roberta Flack or it had to be Roberta Flack because it was a ballad and I spent like it was like on, it was Quincy Jones produced. Okay. And he had Greg Filling Gaines on keys. Like he had like the whole Patrice so Russians and people was like that. Was that before Insanity Pointer Sisters? That was way before. Way that before. was in okay. 88. Okay. Okay. This was in 88. And that record was an R&B, contemporary R&B um, right. song, like right. very conservative yeah. uh, song. And I tried to do a remix on it that was R&B. Right. And I went to the studio up in Milwaukee on these digital tapes, like three digital <laughs> right. tapes, 32 track tapes, so like 60 something tapes, 60 something tracks. Wow. And it was horrible. And then I got back and I said, I'm gonna do a house mix. And then I just took some of the drums that I got off the tape and I just made a house mix that night wow. in eight hours. And then I put it in there and it was nothing but her voice and me just with a whole new track. Yeah. And then I sent it to Atlantic and they hated it and they put it, put it on the B side really? and put Arthur Baker on the on the A side. Wow. And then when the DJs got it, they started playing my mix. Right. And and it just took off and went number one. 
And wow. Roberta Flack actually called me. But that was like my first time really like taking all the music out right. of something and putting a whole new track. I used to just maybe wow. add an acid bass line yeah, yeah, yeah. or add something to it, add some extra percussion. Right. But this time I actually made the whole new track and didn't use anything Any of theirs. Other. Yeah, that, yeah, that was and, the start uh, of it. Right. And then Jamanda was one of the first ones too. Oh, yeah. Where I just totally revamped right. even their vocal arrangement yep. and we made it into everything. a different song that got a love you love for you and made the music be a hook along with their vocals like right. so i started learning how to produce by doing remixes yeah. like because i was trying to produce on our first jam silk album but i didn't know how to produce yet right 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 so by us having those s1000s and yeah. uh, and how we used to sample the vocals Man. and we had total control yes, of everything yep that was like our little ecosystem we had no, going, that, that, man. And, and that's what i learned from i mean and, and when you say control because you could control each verse, whatever you want to do. And that's yep. where you taught me to sample each line. And then that's how you put it on the keys and place everything. And then you can do whatever the heck you want to do. And then if you're doing a dub, your dub will be off the hook because you got everything you right got there. You got everything right there. Yep. All right. From a Chicago house music point of view, tell us about your work with Jamie Principal and why he was so important to house music. Man, before I even started doing music... Uh, Jamie Principal was an artist whose music I was playing courtesy off of a cassette or off of a reel to reel if I was lucky enough to get a reel of right. Your Love or Baby Wants to Ride. And um, that his music was actually, you would think it was a record the way it was being played around right. town. Right. So that's why I kind of think that he gets, he gets the short end of the stick because his music didn't really come out properly. The stuff that was circulating around Chicago, yeah. he didn't have a way into the industry, just like I didn't have a way in with, I can't turn around, I didn't know what to do, he didn't know what to do, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of a parallel situation. Then he met Frankie, Frankie was playing, right. Frankie was playing the stuff, and then he eventually... I don't know whatever happened with all of that. <laughs> right, <laughs> it just right, got right. it just got all crazy and it got bootlegged yeah. and it got real messy. And um, then he came into our camp, right. and we were trying to help him get his just due. Yeah. I think we and he became one of the writers that was co-writing with Correct. us on different right. things. Yep. Some of my songs that I wrote for right. CC and different right. people, he was jumping in because he. I mean, he was a great writer. Absolutely, I mean, still is. Right. I mean, but I think one of the things with Jamie is I look back and I I usually don't have regrets, but I regret. Not saying, let's just let Jamie be Jamie. Yeah. Let's just yeah. let him just be Jamie. That's like it. it might feel weird to you, might right. feel weird to me. But it's but, Jamie. But when he did your love and bad boy and all that, that stuff was weird. Right. But look how look how good it is now. Right. Like, like we gotta let people yeah. be who they are. So I learned a lot about being right. a producer by some of the things I didn't do too. Like Correct, correct. Yeah, but That's he good. but he's very important to the scene. We all learned. He's the one who got me using the computer right. and digital performer. Wow. Because he right. had an SE, right. the little sure box did. looking yes, thing. He, yes, he, he had an SE and then he's like, you, and then Absolutely. he showed it to me. I was like, I got to get an SE and get off this emulator. Because <laughs> I was using the emulator. That sure he was. Showed me that, right. showed me that computer. I was like, man, yeah. I want to do that. And then I was, things with it. Then when yeah. I was able to sample oh, yeah. and I was controlling everything. Oh, yeah. That's what. So at the time in the 90s when you were super hot remixer, you open up your client list to form a remix outfit with myself, Eastmove, as ID Production. What made you take such an organized approach when most producers just focus on this on themselves? I just I saw a lot of you guys a lot when I looked at you guys, I saw myself and you because I saw the work ethic that both of you had. Right. And I saw the talent, even the raw talent, even when we didn't know how to do certain things. Right. We were all three. I look at us as three like-minded individuals. We all whether we were musically trained or not, right. we were going to figure out Absolutely. how to get what we had in our head Absolutely. onto the tape. Absolutely. So I just was inspired by you guys having that same drive that I had, and I wanted right. you to have just as much of the opportunity Absolutely. as me. Absolutely. So when they wanted me to do Michael Jackson, why would I give them just my thing when I could let that be a commercial for you guys? Yeah. To show what you got, because you guys right. had your own style. Yours yeah. was more underground, yep. and Ease was more yeah. late night. Right. So we had like three, three different, different things, and yep. my my then my, I could be more commercial. Right. So it benefited me too to have you guys there, even yeah. though I was giving you guys a look. You all were giving me a look at the same right. time, so it ended up being a good look for everybody. 
And yeah. I didn't mind sharing in some of the money and all that because I wanted. I, I, we right, actually right. ended up. Exactly. We actually ended up doing more work because we had more people to do it. I think. I think we. You started at that time a phenomenon that even New York people that was hot at the time, like Def Mix, you know, came to us and was like, "What are y'all doing? <laughs> y'all taking almost." 80%, 90% of our work. Oh, yeah, because we were hitting the whole, we were hitting every genre. Every genre. Yeah, because it, was. it wasn't just yeah. me. Right. Like, if it was just me, and then they had Frankie. Right. right. Then they get a package. If Dave was doing more more underground, right. we were like, well, we got E Smooth, right? We got exactly. E Smooth. We exactly. got Mo, right. who's doing the stuff that's like more underground. Yeah. And it was, it was, I mean, like I said, I think that was a, a great moment at that time, man, that we created a, a moment. You know that everybody could relate to. Yeah, you know that's so, for sure. In 1993, shortly after I left ID Production, you parted ways with our longtime manager Frank Rodrigo. This was fresh off a $750,000 publishing deal and signing Donnell Rush, Shante Savage to RCA, plus multiple deals with Smash Records. I know why I left. Why did you leave your longtime partner, and where did you ever tempt? Were you ever tempted to reconnect? Uh, never tempted to reconnect because okay. I'm the type, I'm the type that I'm the most loyal person in the world. But right. once, once I realized that that you had ill intentions towards me and that that you weren't really looking out for my best interests, right? I, I'm done with. You. Once I'm done, I'm done. That's I mean that's the way that's the way, that's the way it works. But yeah. it was like the most trying time of my life from oh, yeah. 93 to 1995 yeah. going through a lawsuit and um you know just what i had to pay to just get my rights back and right. get the rights back to what what i what i was entitled to for what i what work i put in right you know and it just it it, it was like i felt i felt so uh vindicated at the end when when it was finally over and right. i was able to um to still retain something, you know what yeah. I'm saying, and my dignity and everything. But so, the so, same so during that time, Steve, what do you think Frank was thinking? I mean, because after I left, I didn't, I didn't come back and I didn't really talk about it. But I'm just trying to figure out what was that conversation like because you guys were partners. Yeah. So how did that feel? And and knowing that you you this was your skill that developed and and made the deal with and everything and. It was just like taken from us. Yeah, I just felt, I felt betrayed once I once I found out all the things that were happening that I didn't know about. Right. Like all the different opportunities that yeah. because it was two thousand dollars less or right. five thousand dollars less than what it's supposed to be. Right. No, we're not going to take. Luther Vandross and Janet Jackson, the best things in life are free. Or right. George Michael, yeah. like he's turning down stuff, right? And I don't even know he's turning it down, right? Because I'm just in the studio like working. a busy bee working. working, right? Exactly. And then I find out all this stuff. I find out. I mean, I even even R. Kelly. <laughs> I saw him in the I saw him in the subway <laughs> before he blew up, right? And I wanted him to come down there because I saw his talent, right? And I found out years later, like literally. Two decades later that he had come down and met with Frank and he sent him away and said, no, Steve wouldn't want to work with you. Wow. And so for years he was pissed off at me and that's why I wasn't doing any work for R. Kelly. When You know what? When he, that is right. Yeah. So yeah. eventually I talked to him. Wow. But, you know. Yeah, damage was done already. Yeah, damage was yeah. done. I I did some stuff for him, but yeah. you know, but I work. I have, I've been fortunate though to yeah. work with a lot of different people. Absolutely. So absolutely. Okay, so you've been Grammy nominated four times in your career. Although your production certainly deserved it, and I mean in a Grammy, you haven't won yet. Do you think the best remix category came too late in your career? And how do you feel Nerys could have better represented house music? Wow, that's a good question. That's pretty much on point. Like, it's like <laughs> I was a part of trying to help get that category. No, I, I don't think – I think you were a part of getting that category. Then say you was. I mean, no, oh, no, no, no. I'm saying yeah. I'm saying it was too late, though. Okay. Because I felt like we needed to have the category. Absolutely. But by the time I – by the time they uh, – the category was voted in. Right. 
my focus was not really remixes anymore. Yeah, and that was really, I think that was right around the time when we had the whole big ID breakup, yeah, right? Yeah. It was like right after that, it, right? It, it so was. And we it, were it, all kind of like trying to figure out our lives and right. starting our own labels that's and true. trying to rebuild the yeah. pieces that fell apart, you know? So um, I wasn't like on the grind like I was from, say, 89 to yeah. 93. Yeah. Where I had so many records coming out. Yeah. I mean, that would have been, I would have probably won 92 or 93 because I had like tons of, I mean, like every record. Right. So I think, I think people don't know because people don't recognize that the reason why this category exists is because of you. Oh, wow. And a lot of people don't know that or they think it's because somebody from New York did it, (laughs) but they don't understand that you pushed for it. You was a trustee that went there and spoke about it. And you get this category. So what I want people to re- really recognize you as a pioneer to put this through because we wouldn't want, I wouldn't have a Grammy if it wasn't because of you. Hey, you know what I'm saying? I appreciate it. And I was happy for you. Man, we were there, man. It was a happy, now, I know. happy was, but it, sad it, occasion. Right, right. But the thing is, I <laughs> when, really, Steve, I think you should have been the third one to get something for yeah. a best remix project because yeah. you had the radio hits. Yeah. You did the radio. Everybody was calling you, and you deserve that. And and I think it's gonna come still, man. I, it's I, it's cool. I mean, I feel like I haven't done my best records yet. That's I, I'm I'm never <laughs> I never feel like that, you know. Right. And the reason I said happy and sad is because of what happened when we went when we were running through the running through the hallway trying to get to the stage. Exactly. And they like, <laughs> and they like, hey Mo, you won. What right. do you mean I won? Wait, right. I'm, I, they announced it already. Exactly. <laughs> Man, we was I was, through that. Yeah. I know you had to be happy and sad. Yeah, all at it the was. Same it was time. happy and sad, and like, and just you know, just like you still got to take your pictures and stuff. Oh yeah, so absolutely. That was cool. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it was definitely one of those things, man. So what we're gonna do is. EDM is a billion-dollar direct offshoot of house music, and a lot of those producers draw directly from your influence. It's also seen that a total lack of people of color is represented. How do you feel about that, of not having a direct economic benefit in the same way of non-black producers and DJs have of what you created? It's just another one of those learning experiences where... You can look at it and you can analyze it and yeah. say, how did they pull that off without us? It's because we didn't really create anything ourselves. Like yeah. we didn't like we had rave, we had promoters and people that were doing big parties and yeah. even like what the chosen few does with their thing, that's right. like technically a festival. Yes. But we didn't have a lot of us organizing things like that. So right. Without us putting together that kind of network and getting the right money behind it, I mean, it's it goes deeper than goes deeper than just that though, because yeah. the opportunity, just us as a people, we don't have the same opportunity anyway. So, right. to have the financing to put something together on that level, right. we're not as privy to that yeah. to be able to put that kind of stuff together. So it takes a lot of effort on yeah. our part to be able to have our heroes be a part of yeah. of something that big. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it takes a joint effort. I don't think that's over. I don't think right. it's like something that can't still happen. Yeah. I think I think you doing what you're doing right. here is, is helping yeah. because you're shining a light on where the music came from. Right, right. And, and how it all evolved. It didn't yeah. just come from the UK. Absolutely. And, and, and so, so that being <laughs> said, Steve, like, like you get a lot of people like, well, '90s music coming back. Do you ever get in your mode or music mode where you be like, I can do this in my sleep, like mm-hmm. the night Jamanda, Black Box, yeah, you know all that stuff. Do you do you think sometimes be like, I'll do this right now and make it happen? Because yeah. I think they earn it, they yearning for it, Steve, and yeah. nobody can really get it except for you. Yeah, I mean, even when you do it. The, the the one problem with the music industry, just like many other industries, is if you it's almost like you have to sell your soul to get the promotion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is I know what you, you know. <laughs> right, right. So 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 either you do it on your own and see if you can reach the people which the you can reach the people now right. directly. Right. So I I mean, they want you to 
They want you to, how, how can I put this? They don't want you to own anything. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, they come in here and they try to scoop up your stuff. And yeah. Yeah. if you don't sell, then they ain't promoting you. Right. Like, so, I mean, it's like that in a lot of industries, you know, but, right. you know, it, it is what it is. You live and learn. That's, that's why, you know, we had ID records, Equitron yeah. records. Yeah. I had Silk Entertainment. Right. Skip had push pack. I had, right. and we had SNS. Like that's why, that's why we do what we do. Yeah. We want to provide the opportunity. Good. So all of your remixes and productions, name your top three favorite and why. Hmm. Remixes and productions. Yep. Either one. You might want to go on SNSChicago.com <laughs> and look at the blog I did because okay. we did one called Top Thirty. Right. Productions and top forty remixes. Okay, and so, I talk about all of that, but okay, I would so no, say, no, no, no. give me your top three remixes then. Top three remixes yes. would be maybe Crystal Waters, okay. Making Happy. All right. Um, I see. I'm gonna end up shortchanging something. No, no. Michael just, Jackson, Remember the Time. Okay. Prince, Get Off. Okay. I mean, but I don't know if that's the top three, but that's that's three of the top ones. But okay. there's other ones that I like maybe even better, but they might not have been as successful. Right, 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 right. Because Mike so, is Mike. Right. You know. So <laughs> what is a Steve Hurley record you felt was slept on and expected to go a lot further but didn't? Oh. Let me think of one. Um. Hmm. Uh, higher, but um, with me, Vanessa Mitchell. Yes. Vanessa Mitchell and. Yeah, you don't um, think that cat is just due? I don't think it didn't get. It's like a, a classic. Yeah. To the to the house heads okay. and to the people that know house music. Right. But it never crossed into like I feel like it could have been a big gospel, gospel record. record. Yeah, you're right. And I feel like it could have been a big a big R&B audience record wow. too okay. and I, I feel like it could reach a lot of i still like feel like it's not too late but okay, right no that's i just I feel like it was record. ahead of its time yeah you know like like when i listen to it i'm like wow that should have done more than what it did like no, it, i feel you in that because that that was pre-dj spin yeah you know that type of vibe, all the gospel vibe like that so yeah you, you were definitely ahead of time on that one brother so we all have at least one project we wish we could get another shot at Name one of you. Name one that you may heard it different, or you had another chance that, you know, you you think like oh, a project that I did that I wish I could do over again. Yeah, at another shot at that you like, man, if I can just do this one over, would it be um, that you may heard it different and you had another chance at? Maybe, uh, hmm, maybe was it Lisa Stansfield? No. Because uh, so so some many. of my later, some of my stuff <laughs> in the late '90s, Lisa Stansfield, I always, I felt like I was disconnected okay. from the people. Like, like I didn't know what they wanted. Right. So instead of just doing what I felt, I tried to just kind of do what I thought they. And which might record want. with Lisa Stansfield was this uh, one? Oh, the real thing or something like okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was okay. I mean, right. if you listen to it, you'd be like, eh, it's cool. <laughs> but, but I feel like I could have done even better. Right. Right. Yeah, but. I mean, I, I I was a perfectionist, still am, you know. So no, absolutely. So I try to, I try to be happy, try to make sure I'm making myself happy with what I'm sending out. Right, 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 know? right. Okay, but, okay. So tell us about your label SNS Records and your partnership with Skip, and what has been your victories and what is in the future. Uh, Skip and I, um, we kind of came from two different generations, because right. um, he was after me like 15 years younger than me. So his experience was more as being a DJ over right. in France, right. Ibiza, and different places like that. And um, we always used to run into each other and we met officially in the grocery store in 2004 <laughs> wow. at Ultra Foods, <laughs> talked in the frozen food sections about going to hoop. And we started right. hooping together. Then next thing you know, a year later, we started SNS and okay. did the Chicago LP, which we interviewed you yes, on. Sir. Yes, sir. And that was a project where we were interviewing, doing exactly what you're, what you're doing, but you yep. it was on in DVD. a different, we did yep. it a different way. Like yep. it was for whatever was happening then, we did a DVD where we wanted yep. to just get people's story or how they got into right. Because y'all was doing like almost like an MTV Cribs type of vibe. Yeah. You, know, you come in everybody's crib. 
Yeah, so it so it was it was it was cool. That's why I really admire what you guys are doing because you're getting to the bottom of it. Yeah, and you you're not you're not leaving any stones unturned. But right, like right. as far as skipping Idol, you know the SNS brand, we 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 when we launched that project, we always had we always had the SNS brand. Yes, and sir. That yes, we're sir. we're really about about pushing that. Right. And um, it's helped us uh, globally. People are recognizing recognizing the brand because we, we we do a lot of records every year, forty or fifty records a year, right. and we involve people from all different parts of the world. Right. But unfortunately, the music business is a little bit different yeah. now than it used to be, where yeah, you yeah. could just put out a record and you automatically selling ten, twenty, thirty thousand yeah. copies. But yeah. there are no copies anymore. It's just you're you're <laughs> listening to music right. exactly. and you're getting you know you're getting pennies every. Right. times a few people several people stream you right. know what i'm saying so yeah, yeah. this it's a different monetization of, yeah. of the business now so right. we're doing a lot of different things we actually have a podcast we've been working on okay. we we do events right. we got a merchandise line yeah you know we just we're about positive people and okay. you know that's why when you said you want me to do this yes, sir. i know it took a long time to, to get hey, it on the schedule but, no, it was good, but there was no way i wasn't going to do this i appreciate because i love what you guys are doing yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you really shed, shedding some light so what, what's, 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 heroes what's, too. what's your um gear list looking like right now because mm. back in the day we had the computers we had you know the s9000 that's not hundred s1100 what does steve hurley gear list look like right now um is of course it's mostly based in a computer okay laptop all right so are you pro laptop apollo ableton what what you doing studio one okay studio one um and you know just a plethora of plugins plugins instruments like all all different type whatever i hear that i like right and i try not to i try not to be stubborn but i also try not to be lazy and use the technology too much and just yeah. be grabbing loops and throwing them in any place. Okay. I still okay. try to keep some kind of authentic yeah. well, that's things good, within my music, you know, and, and do and have people feel what I'm doing. Yeah. I still play my own keys right. and, you know, just try to make people feel what I'm feeling Absolutely. within a record, you okay. know. Well, Harold, brother, this has been a pleasure, man. Again, thank you. I'm honored, brother. Uh, like I say, man, I got in this game because of you, um, yeah. when you took me underneath your wing, man, you definitely showed me uh, how to produce. And I, wow. I, I'm definitely, you know, grateful for that, man, because I learned a lot with the wow. ID crew, man. And from songwriting, from you telling me, take each eight bar measure and do something different. You can use the same pattern, yeah. different instrumentation, and be something totally different. So, you know, that's a lot where I learned from, from my songwriting producer, man. Wow. And, I, I, and I thank you. I want to give you your flowers right now. Um, once again, subscribe, y'all. Uh, hit the notification button. Uh, Steve, you got anything you want to say before we, we wrap it up, brother? Ah, uh, wow. Let me see. Hey, um, like I said, I just, I'm just excited about, you know, what you're doing for house music okay. because I know a lot of times people say, well, who's the godfather right, and who's right, right, this right. and who did this? And yeah. don't you think you're the godfather? People right. are asking me that. Right. And I'm like, there is no godfather. Yeah. You know, they're, 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 I mean, no disrespect to anybody. Like, right. But I feel like we all came a together collective. as a collective yes, sir. to make house music. We, right. we had a lot of love. Like I was using a drum machine yes. to do I Can't Turn Around that, that, that uh, what's his name? Um, Vince Lawrence borrowed from Jesse Saunders, right, right. and I borrowed it from Vince, right. so I could use it for eight hours to do a few tracks. Right. So a lot of my stuff was on borrow. Like we were borrowing each other's stuff, yeah. we were playing each other's stuff, yeah. and somehow along the road, you know, when it becomes a business, sometimes right. people lose sight of the yeah. love that was there. That's and true. I'm glad. I think I feel like you're bringing the love back. Yeah. By letting everybody tell their story Absolutely. and remembering Absolutely. what it took. In How order to get for there. us to get to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Brother, so. again, I love you, man. Thank All you right, so much, you too, man. Bro. And um, once again, to Steve Stirk Hurley, y'all, the legendary brother. Remember that. Yep. Peace out, man. All right.